Welcome to Theology in the Dirt. At Theology in the Dirt, we make it our aim to practice our theology in the public square of our homes, our city, and our world. It's Christmas time, Christmas season, and we are very glad that you are listening. If you don't have that album, I encourage you to go get it. It's Third Day's uh, Christmas album. Insanely good. Real good. Christmas offerings. Yeah. Just solid, good renditions of classic songs and that's just a great one, too. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, just had to let it play a little bit. I told Chris coming in this morning, I was listening to that, going, that's the song for this morning. It's not what I recorded on our stuff because it got me all emotional, and I'm sitting here all emotional now because it kind of leads into what we want to talk about today. Um, we're going to uh, come into uh, Christmas season. We're gonna, Today we're going to talk about Santa Claus, and we're going to talk about some history and, uh, and, and some of our takeaways that I think this song for me – uh, helps me to um, helps me process a little bit, and so uh, it's healthy and good, and and I'm I'm absolutely grateful um, for that. So we're glad you guys listen. Uh, don't forget we come to you uh, from the worldwide headquarters of Global Impact International, where we focus on our work of restoration in Rome, fostering adoptive care needs in Roman Floyd County. And what's amazing here is this theology coming into practice by serving our our city, serving our students. Man, gifts have been coming in all month long, and they're just increasing as we serve our foster population in Roman Floyd County. If you want to find out more about that work and how you can participate, you can go to restorationrome.org and uh, hear by reading and seeing some of the great things and how you can be involved. So we're grateful for you guys listening. You go to theologyandirt.com, and you can read blogs, you can read Christmas devotions, and you can find out this information. But as it stands, it's time to get into some news. Chris, it's Christmas time. 
Do you have good news? I'll let you go first. My news is more just, (laughs) my news is more I want to poke at the left a little bit. Mine's not political. It's not good news, but I think it's important news. Oh, that's good. Um, I try to usually stay positive. I felt like this is very relevant. And so, um, yeah, I'll jump into mine. So a recent poll done by Effective School Solutions shows that mental health concerns and issues for young people continue to increase rapidly and that schools really aren't prepared or confident in dealing with them. So they, they interviewed or polled over 200 school administrators and over 1,000 parents of K-12 through students. Um, basically, parents feel less confident in the school's ability to, to help deal with these issues than that schools actually do. Mm-hmm. So administrators, about 40% said they had a high level of confidence in their ability to deal with the mental health crisis in the schools compared to only 16% of parents who felt confident in the school's ability to do it. Uh, nearly one in 10 administrators reported not being confident at all compared to nearly a third of the parents. So again, we're, there's still, there's much higher confidence in the school's ability I'm, as a parent I, and someone who has spend enough time studying mental health, which I know you have too. I have less confidence. It's not that the administrators in the schools aren't capable or have the capacity to do it. One, they don't get enough training on how to do it properly outside of maybe like counselors and even some of the counselors, I feel like don't understand enough of the nuances behind, uh, especially when it comes to like trauma or it comes to dealing with things in the home and how that translates into the school. Some of that's too, they're hamstrung by what they can do. I mean, Apparently, you got a lot of parents going, well, teachers need to be doing this. And I'm like, you don't understand. Teachers aren't allowed to do anything. Right. I mean, they can't They can't spank your kid. They can't yell at your kid. They can't put them in a corner anymore. There's no dunce caps. You know, there's no box of shame. Like, you can't do some of these things that you used to be able to do. Um, and But this was a staggering quote. So Duncan Young, who's the CEO of Effective School Solutions, so they're the ones that conducted the survey, said this. This is the defining education and public health issue of our time. Over the past 15 years, there's been a transition in terms of how schools see themselves uh, in terms of their role in youth mental health. And I think this is accelerated and will be one of the long-lasting legacies of COVID, uh, which I tend to agree with. Um, I think that we're not out of this. Uh, this kind of stirred up this week. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Twitch. Um, he you know, co-host of The Ellen Show, for those of you who don't know, for like 10 years, Dancing with the Stars. He's been in some of the step-up movies. Just an incredible dude from the outside looking in from what I can tell. And everybody around him just always seemed happy, positive, uplifting others. Um, took his own life this week at the age of 40. Yeah. Um, in a hotel room had, a, you know, just celebrated an anniversary with his wife. I think they have three young kids. Yeah. Just, uh, and, and you, you and I both have a, had a close, close friend yeah. that this, and I've had more than one. And I just, yeah, I brought this news up if nothing else to tell those listening, if you're dealing with stuff, we're here. I'm here. Yeah. Um, please don't try to go through this alone. I realize it's easier said than done because people that are dealing with these issues aren't usually overly excited to get out in the world and share it with people. Yeah. But, I, but I, just know that you, you matter and people care. Yeah. That's good. I'm, uh, yeah, the, man, there's so much, that would be a great, <laughs> that would be, be a great sorry, podcast. And no, no, it's fantastic there, news because I, I think so many people, wrestle they have a hard time during the holiday season because um number one <clears throat> i'm becoming more it's not like i'm haven't been aware of read my bible there's a spiritual dimension to our world c.s lewis said we live in a magical world it is a magical world it's a supernatural world because it's made by a supernatural god and it's filled with demons and angelic hosts that serve the purposes of the lord the book of hebrews says, aren't angels ministering spirits sent to serve on behalf of those who inherit eternal life? And at the same time, we're battling. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, principles, authority, dominions in the heavenly places that set themselves up against the kingdom of God. And and so much chaos around what should be such a celebrative time of year, um, the chaos that ensues, and then the after effect because every year it comes back around and people uh, who have been hurt, wounded, lives have fallen apart at this time of year, they relive it and they hate this time of year. Yeah. Um, and and so I, I think, yeah, I think the awareness of and being able to reach out and talk because just being able to talk about it is helpful. And uh, I have friends, they, they struggle. And, and you never know. You never know. Our mutual friend, none of us would have saw that coming. No, the last person in a million ever, years. Yeah, not a million years. You never, never expect that. And so, 
Yeah, just amen. Thanks for bringing that up. And and I think, too, um, I've been in education. My wife's in education. Your wife's an educator. We have friends who are educators. And so we, I think we run in a circle of educators that it's easy for me to assume in that world they're all like our circle. Yeah. And they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm be very careful what I say here. Many teachers are heroes. Many are not. And there are things you can do, and there are things you can ignore and avoid. And I think uh, your wife and our friends and folks who work and wear themselves out, not just because the job is hard, but to care for the whole kid, mm-hmm. uh, those are the ones who are heroes. And yeah. then and then there are those who just just exist and draw a paycheck. And 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 kids, it's not just the information. We gotta get information into them. That's education. It's learning to critically think. It's learning to analyze. It's learning history. It's it's the three R's, right? It's all that stuff. But many kids come into the classroom and they can't learn the three R's because they're perpetually stuck in fight, flight, or freeze. You can't memorize something when your amygdala is lit up like a Christmas tree. Yeah. And and many of our kids, that's how they start their day. And so some of the behaviors are not behavioral problems. They are kids stuck in a survival mode. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. until you're aware that's a mental, emotional challenge that they didn't ask for but they're living with, mm-hmm. you're not going to teach them anything. We're going to treat it as a behavioral problem, kick them, in, kick them out of school, or even facilitate more trauma by how we treat them. So you got to see beyond the behavior, right? That's right. No, that's good, man. Um, here's Here's my news. It's more, um, I didn't, it wasn't an article. I'm reading articles all the time, but it was on Twitter this morning watching um, various members of the left, including media wings who have a left bias, losing their mind and threatening to stop the use of Twitter because the rules now equally apply to them. Mm-hmm. And I'm, part of me giggles but part of me's going, and and then they're blaming Elon Musk, which, by the way, he voted for most of them. He's not a red guy. He's a blue guy. But he's a blue guy who I think has a fair amount of sense. <laughs> and yeah. he's, he bought the company, and now he's just equally applying the rules, and the left is losing their cotton-picking mind. AOC was, like, slamming him on Twitter today and – uh, early this morning, and CNN's threatening they're looking at their use of Twitter, and because he's like, you know, if you dox people, I mean, that's just the rules, man. And he's going, the rules apply to everybody. If you're naughty, you get put in timeout. And it's making me laugh that the left, who has ruled much of media, is like freaking out because, well, their message is being exposed. My favorite thing this past couple of weeks has been. People complaining about Twitter and threatening to leave Twitter while posting it on Twitter. <laughs> while doing <laughs> like, it on Twitter, right? Rob Reiner's the best, man. I'm leaving uh, Twitter. I know. I, uh, that Twitter. may have been one of the ones. I, 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 I've done better at myself, you know, control and not like trolling some of these people. But one of them, I just put a gif of, of someone that is like one of those gifts that says, here's your attention. Because that's what it looks like. It's like you're being a toddler who's. <laughs> Throwing a tantrum, right? I'm like, if you want to leave Twitter, leave Twitter. Don't yeah. the the thing. One of the things I have the least respect for is when people announce they're leaving social, like a, a Facebook group or tw- or a f- social platform on the platform, right? And yeah. I'm like, all that does screams is, look at me. Yeah, that's right. Just leave, <laughs> right? Just yeah. go. Yeah, just go. Like Twitter will be fine without you. Yeah, it will continue to be fine. Rob Reiner, like I can't unsee Rob Reiner's Archie Bunker's son-in-law and that old like. I was a kid watching, I don't even remember the name of the show. I just remember Archie Bunker, the character Archie Bunker, and his son-in-law is played by Rob Reiner, and he's such a bumbling idiot, and I think Rob Reiner's really just that. And, and real, Lord, I apologize for, I was all misty-eyed talking about Jesus and Christmas, and I just called Rob Reiner an idiot. Lord, I'm sorry. That's terrible. I think it's probably time to move on from the news. What do you think? Let's do it. Attention, please. It's time for the final 
Let's rock indeed voice. Santa Claus. Santa Claus, Santa Claus. All right, so what we want to do is we want to spend a little time talking about who Santa Claus is. I think where we live, what we grew up in, we have this vision of Santa Claus. And, um, man, I I think Christmas story, ho, ho, ho. (laughs) That's that's one of my favorite scenes. And the poor Ralphie, he's trying to, you know, he wants his BB gun. He's trying to get it across to Santa. And Ralphie gets kicked down the slide. Right? We have this vision of Santa. We go to the mall, sit on Santa's lap. No, that's fun. And Christmas time is so exciting for kids. And 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 there's this competing thing going on where if, if we're raised or we're part of a Christian household or we're or we're parents raising kids, there's this feeling of competition and, and we all have to do things differently. And so I'm not gonna advocate for one way or another. I'm just gonna we're going to talk about who Santa Claus is, who St. Nicholas is, and maybe some takeaways from that. And so just want to educate and, and give some some fun information. Some of this can be fun, lighthearted, some of it may be more serious, but who is Santa Claus? So I'm going to start. Chris has got some history. I'm going to take it up to a point. Chris is going to take it from that point on, and then we're going to give some takeaways. So St. Nicholas, who we call Santa Claus, was known as St. Nicholas. He was born in 280 in Patara, uh, which is modern in a city in modern day Turkey. Uh, he was a Christian monk. Some say he was an actual bishop uh, overseeing a church or maybe multiple churches in modern, what is called modern day Turkey today. And he did that in the city of Myra. Uh, he was known particularly for generosity and kindness, especially to children and the poor. And in particular, um, one of the legends, and, and you may have this information too, this whole stocking thing, when we hang up stockings, that Santa Claus feels was, um, and I don't know how many parents are going to let their kids listen to this, um, so I'm going to try to be super, like, not uh, use certain words, but there were certain women who might not have been married and their fathers could not afford a dowry. So in order to make ends meet, um, they would use themselves to make money. And so in the evenings, they would hang stockings up to dry. They would wash their clothes. And and in order to prevent them from having to do that, there is legend. I don't know if there's a ton of history to prove this, but the legend says that St. Nicholas uh, would use resources, funds raised, to put money in their stockings. So when they got up the next morning to find dry stockings, they would find money in their stockings and did not have to go do the work that they were engaging in, which was not good work, not good for their soul, um, and they'll be provided for. So he had compassion for the poor, compassion for people who found themselves in difficult situations. So the legend of the stocking is somehow connected to that somehow, which is interesting. And I think you may have something different that you've discovered. And by the way, my information I pulled from a history channel. Uh, I pulled some stuff from a, a couple of um, biographical sketches of St. Nicholas in, in my library. There's a great little book called I Heard Good News Today for parents if you wanted. It's full of all kinds of good stuff for uh, if you want to learn about the history of the Christmas tree, Boniface, uh, St. Boniface. There's a great story in his work in Germany. So you can, it's called I Heard Great News Today or I, I Heard Good News Today. So we're pulling this information. You can go find that as well. And so this is some of the legend of how giving uh, in, in, in relation to Santa Claus came about. Uh, over the course of years, uh, his popularity began to continue to grow, um, and he became known as the patron saint of and protector of children and sailors. Now, I don't know how sailors got connected to that. Maybe you have that information, but... Did you find it? Did you see that patron saint of sailors? Yeah, I do have that. I don't. It didn't. I didn't. Couldn't find much information on how that came to be, other than I just assume, you know, you know that being a time where you know a lot of things were driven through ports and right. through ships and transported, and that's probably how a lot of gifts were transported. So yeah. perhaps it has 
that's just me speculating because there's not a lot of right history on that aspect of it but. yeah because it, at some point is totally you get down a rabbit trail here of seafaring but there's enough there's this great show the curse of oak island which i absolutely adore i've watched all 10 i'm, I'm in the middle of season 10 or the beginning of season 10 um sea travel cross atlantic sea travel did not begin with christopher columbus there is all manner of evidence uh geographically historically that um europeans have been sailing across the atlantic and the pacific to various places long before we imagined that they did even even i'm talking bc times phoenicians were seafarers and so there's this there, there's a seafaring culture and so the reality is he's known as the patron saint and protector of children and sailors so children and sailors so there's that connection to children from the history of his work um his feast day is celebrated on the anniversary of his death which is december 6 383 a.d so he was 63 years old when he passed it means he lived 13 more years than me um, this was uh, traditionally considered a lucky day to make a large purchase or to get married. So December 6th. So next December 6th, maybe make my next large purchase on December 6th. Um, by the Renaissance, St. Nicholas was the most popular saint in Europe. Uh, even after the Reformation, when the veneration of saints was discouraged, and uh, and rightfully so, Nicholas maintained a positive reputation, and particularly in Holland, um, where in their language he became known as Center Klaus, Center Klaus, Center Klaus. So Saint Nick uh, then got his inroads to American pop culture toward the end of the 18th century. So in December 1773 and then 1774, a New York newspaper reported that groups of Dutch families had gathered to honor the anniversary of his death. That's fascinating. So New York City, 1700s, they're reporting that these Dutch immigrants are gathering to celebrate the death of Sinter Claus. Um, so the name Santa Claus evolved from his Dutch name, uh, a shortened form of St. Nicholas. Um, so in 1804, John... Pintard, a member of the New York Historical Society, distribute wood cutouts of St. Nick uh, at the Society's annual meeting. And the backdrop of the engraved contained now familiar Santa images, which include stockings filled with toys, fruit hung over the fireplace, and all that good stuff. So in 1809, uh, Washington Irving helped to popularize the Center Claus stories when he referred to St. Nicholas as the patron saint of New York in his book, The History of New York. That's Fascinating. I had no yeah. clue, man. Um, and so as his prominence grew, Santa Claus, Santa Claus was described as everything from a rascal, which is fascinating. He's a ra- that might be kind of the whole sneaky sneak down the chimney. He's a little rascal. Uh, and I like this, the three, the blue three-cornered hat and a red waistcoat. I think we need to bring back the blue three-cornered hat that's pretty awesome a red waistcoat yellow stockings that that's one of his images to a man wearing a broad-brimmed hat and a huge pair of flemish <laughs> trunk hose that's awesome h-o-s-e i put that on my christmas list this <laughs> so year. you need some, some trunk, trunk hose, hose. <laughs> <laughs> some trunk hose i don't even know what trunk hose are i guess it's like a pair of like big tall socks or something Maybe. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's like long johns to hold your trunk in. Uh, and it has but it has like the hose part for the legs. That's that, what I'm thinking. That, of. Oh, that, your trunk. Your yeah. trunk holds your trunk in. Ah, so it's long johns. That could be what it is. That's interesting. Yeah. Trunk hose. Totally made that up, but it sounds right. <laughs> it sounds right. I didn't want to Google trunk hose because I was like, ah that trunk hose. That could different. go different. That could take that could take my search engine a different direction. I so no, I didn't want to do that. So that's a little background of Saint Nicholas. What you got? Yeah, so I'll kind of pick up from there. So gift giving, you know, mainly centered around children, has been an important part of Christmas since the holidays' rejuvenation in the early 19th century, uh, which is kind of where you left off there. Uh, stores actually began to advertise Christmas shopping as early as 1820. And then by the 1840s, even newspapers were creating separate sections for holiday advertisements, which often featured images of the newly popular Santa Claus, um, 
which kind of that first image is like like you mentioned back um, from John Pinterest and the, those kind of um, wood engravings. It's kind of like where we really got the first sort of images of Santa Claus, even though they're different than today. Right. Um, in 1841, thousands of children visited a Philadelphia shop to see a life-size Santa Claus model, and it was only a matter of time before stores began to attract children and their parents with the lure of a peek at a live Santa Claus. So that dates back a long time. Yeah. Um, in the early 1890s, the Salvation Army needed money to pay for the free Christmas meals they were providing to needy families. And so they began dressing up unemployed men in Santa Claus suits, sending them out in the streets of New York to get donations. And those familiar Salvation Army Santas, they're still ringing the bells. That's why. Seeing Walmart. Yeah. But that's really the first point where like seeing Santa, people dressed up as Santa became a thing. Really? Sort of a Salvation Army. That's uh, fascinating. I, th- I found that very fascinating. Yeah. Uh, the Macy's Santa, so kind of you know Thanksgiving parade, that began in 1924. So that was the first appearance of Santa in the Macy's parade. But however, the American image of Santa really started to become popularized in 1931. And do you want to take a guess at which company is responsible for that? What it is it's Coca Cola. It is Coca Cola. Yes. So uh, our modern day Georgia. Our modern day yes. image of Santa Claus comes from Coca Cola advertisements starting in nineteen thirty one. So Coke chose not to use the blue three cornered hat and yes. the yellow trunk hose. Right. So and they, they went with their the, colors. Exactly. Because their colors are red and white and they wanted Santa to represent their coloring. And that's that's wild. And I mean, their marketing department's been one of the best we've seen in the history of business. Dude, I've been places in the world where there's no excuse for anything finding itself there than rocks (laughs) and wild animals. And there's a Coke bottle or a Coke can on the ground. Yeah. Legit. I believe it. Insane. Um, So it wasn't so. It wasn't until the poem, The Night Before Christmas, that the eight reindeer were first introduced. So a little history here on the reindeer. Uh, The poem was originally called A Visit from St. Nicholas. It was a little bit different, and there's still some uncertainty about who actually wrote The Night Before Christmas, but they believe it was taken from this poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, which was written in 1822 by Clement Clark Moore, which just sounds like an 1800s name, Clement Clement Clark Moore. Uh, and it was the first time we really got the more jolly image of Santa Claus as a jovial elf with magical powers um, through that poem. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, Rudolph wasn't created until over a century later. 1939 is the first appearance of Rudolph when a copywriter named Robert L. May wrote a fun poem himself that was later made into the popular song about Rudolph that we know today. You know, so Are you serious? That, that, that song came... It's, it's not word for word of the poem, but the poem inspired that song. Really? And that's where Rudolph came from, the ninth reindeer. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Here's a little bit of history of, of Santa around the world, um, which you hit a little bit on this. Obviously, the 18th century America Santa Claus was not the only St. Nicholas-inspired gift giver to make an appearance at Christmas time. There are similar figures in Christmas traditions around the world. Um, Christkind, or Kris Kringle, was believed to deliver presents to well-behaved Swiss and German children. Whoa, time out, time out. So, cr- Chris Kringle is not the same as Santa Claus, or did they? It, it's it, there. So, so many different cultures and countries have had this history of a Christmas time gift giver character. And Christ, Chris Kringle is Christ kind. Yeah, one word, Christ kind. Are you serious? It's the same, dude. That's awesome. Um, different translations. I'm getting a um, legit education because you it, found some good stuff. Because it means Christ child. So, Christ kind means. Translates into Christ child. Okay. Uh, it's an angel-like figure often accompanied by St. Nicholas on his holiday missions. So in Scandinavia, there's a jolly elf named Jolt Omten. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know how to, J- That sounded so Dwight K. Street, right? <laughs> J-U-L-T. Jolt. O-M-T-E-N. Wow. Jolt Tomten. Sounds like... Uh, Tutankhamun or something like that. Some kind of like Egyptian <laughs> yeah. king or something. I'm waiting on Belschnickel. <laughs> okay. got that. I, I do not have much history on Belschnickel other than <laughs> he just judges you to either be good or impish. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, if you don't know who Belschnickel is, you need to go watch The Office. Because when he you just went Germanic or like. Yeah, just, just go to YouTube and type in The Office Dwight Christmas and you'll yeah. get a fun lesson. So. You won't be disappointed. <laughs> um Jolt Omten was thought to deliver gifts in a sleigh drawn by goats. Wow. 
I hope they weren't the screaming goats like from Thor: Love and Thunder, though, because those <laughs> things were obnoxious. But <laughs> Very obnoxious. maybe it was. Maybe that's where that came from. Right. Uh, English legend explains that Father Christmas visits each home on Christmas Eve to fill ch- children's stockings with holiday treats. And we also know the name Father Christmas from a very popular story, which I know that you're a big fan of, um, and one, probably one of my favorite depictions of really kind of what Santa or Father Christmas is supposed to be. And we see that in the line of Witch in the Wardrobe, and of course, of Narnia, yes. Father Christmas comes. and um, yeah. But he's his he provides gifts, but they're very intentional gifts right. to the four children. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile keeping the focus on Aslan. Yes. Looking at Aslan and here are tools for the kingdom of Aslan. Yes. Yeah. yeah dude, father Christmas so, is awesome. Had to get him in there, which of course, you know, the, um, uh, the children are from England. So that makes sense. Yes. Um, and you know, anyway, that's so awesome. We, we get all that. Um, Pere Noel is responsible for filling the shoes of French children. In Italy, there's a story of a woman called La Bafana, B E F A N A or Bafana. Okay. I just want to say banana fan, but that's not what it does. Uh, she was a kindly witch who rides a broomstick down the chimneys of Italian homes to deliver toys into the stockings of lucky children. Wow. And if you do like a Google search on just like names of, of Santa or how Santa's used through countries all the world, I believe there was well over like 300. I mean, there's just so many different wow. versions of it. Um, we learned from the Tim Allen Santa Claus movie, Papo Gijo. You know, that was another one. So, <laughs> That's right. Um, Jolly Old Saint Nick, Chris Kringle. You just, there's just so many names. Wow. Um, so Santa. Um, but so let's so just let me give a little bit more history on some different things, and then we'll kind of get to our five. I'll try to go through these quickly. But, That's good. Um, so before leaving milk and cookies for Santa, families used to put gifts in the stockings. So this was kind of my stocking over the fireplace for Santa. So originally the stockings were there to put gifts in for Santa, for the gift giver, uh, something to give to, to him. Now we use it as, uh, you know, where we put like toothbrushes and candy and you know, things like that. Um, <laughs> right. And if, for those who aren't familiar, when you know the, the whole concept of Santa putting coal in your stocking, if you're bad, the reason that came about is he's coming down the chimney. And what would you find in the chimney? Coal. So it was handy. That's where that comes from. That's great. You know, because it's yeah. like, why, why would he put coal? Why, where, like, did he have just a box of coal in a sleigh? No, he's coming down the chimney. And if you weren't good, <laughs> right. you, did, you weren't deserving of the gifts. That's where that came from. Amazing. Um, leaving out a snack is common is a common tra- Christmas tradition, but the rise of its popularity dates back to the 1930s during the Great Depression. So in an effort to teach children the importance of showing gratitude during economic hardships, parents encouraged their children to leave out milk and cookies for Santa and a carrot or two for his reindeer. Because you think about that time frame, wow. like you wouldn't just part with food. Wow. If you even had cookies, that was probably a, a special treat. Right. So that was like, that would have been a lot to give up. Nowadays you can get a, for less than a dollar, get a pack of chips ahoy or something and, <laughs> right. you know, leave those out. Um, that's awesome. So that's uh, Santa is treated to different gifts and treats around the world. In Australia and the United Kingdom, kids leave leave out sherry and mince pies. Swedish kids leave rice porridge. Yikes! That none of that none of those words sound good together. Right. <laughs> those do not sound good. It's together. like figgy pudding. It's probably good, but there's nothing that just doesn't sound good to me. Right? No, it no, um, it doesn't. And Santa can expect an even greater surprise in Ireland upon his arrival: a pint of Guinness. That's a good Christmas <laughs> night, man. A lot of parents probably love that. Like, yep, Santa. <laughs> Let's leave him more this year. <laughs> Daddy, why is there a 12 pack for Santa? <laughs> you can't. Anyway, so hopefully Santa's not flying drunk. All right, last, last few little facts here, and then I'll wrap up. Yeah. Did you know that there is a Santa University? I didn't know that. Well, there is. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> In Westminster, Colorado. There's a four-day training program that welcomes approximately a thousand naturally bearded people hoping to learn the ins and outs of how to be the best Santa possible. Really, really, that's wild! Holy cow, man! Do you want to take a guess? This, uh, the, my, my last facts here are trivia time too. So, okay, what country time. do you think writes the most letters to Santa every year? I'm going to say it's not America. I'm going to say it's correct. Is it um, Germany? Very close, France. Really? France sends the most letters to Santa. That's interesting. Um, now, here in the U.S., all letters that are written to Santa that go to the post office, they all end up in a small town called, get this, Santa Claus. Santa Claus, Indiana is a real town 
and the postmaster there, with along with lots and lots of volunteers, they make it an attempt to respond to every single one because the kids writing a letter to Santa is expecting a response. So they write letters back really? to all these kids. So you can mail it if you mail letters to Santa, you can send it to. Um, I don't know how that works. I didn't look up actually. Like how, that's fascinating. But I assume if you just wrote it to Santa to the North Pole, I guess the post office is aware. Of it, but this is where they all supposedly end up. Really? So somebody is opening all these letters and responding and responding, and sending them back. I, I assume that they raise money. I don't think the government's paying to. Yeah, because I'm going to all federal, these is federal money <laughs> being used. And are are they like that? That's fascinating. Like, are they um, auto generated and somebody signing, or is this? The, I, I think they're all handwritten. I, I think they have a group of. I think because I mean the town's called Santa Claus, and they have a bunch of volunteers every year that come and, and do. So it's this. a good opportunity to to serve and come. Yeah, and write it's letters. a nice thing. You're making kids. I had no clue. Santa Claus, Indiana yeah. gets all the letters written to Santa. You can now email Santa wow. text. You can get text from Santa. Um, I found this little text thing. So I got some text to Addison from Santa and from <laughs> oh, fun. Mrs. Claus. You know, fun things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, you can send emails. So uh, lastly, so there are two cities in the world that claim to be the true home to Santa. North Pole, Alaska. Okay. Is an obvious reason with that name. Right. Um, but there's also a town in the northernmost province of Finland. Uh, when we, we mentioned a lot of the Scandinavian history there, of course, Finland right. being um, up there near the Arctic Circle, they have a, a town called Rovan, Rovan Iemi. <laughs> R-O-V-A-N-I-E-M-I. Wow. Whatever that actually is pronounced. Right. Um, and, and so both of these towns make the claim that that's the legit town of santa really uh one of the reasons the north pole came about is because santa is reindeer reindeer have to live in very cold climate there you and go so that's kind of where the north pole was created in history but lastly santa has a pilot's license <laughs> the u.s granted santa a pilot's license and he has a passport really so the feds have to jump in there and restrict santa by making him have a license and a passport which makes sense because i've always wondered about like you know, all this international and restricted airspace is like True. you imagine santa flying over some of those middle eastern countries I don't, <laughs> gonna get like it's gonna get hot shot down from some stark industries missiles or something but <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah that's to, that's awesome so yeah it was, just, it was kind of fun just learning the history of that but i think it really goes back to what you said at the beginning is understanding that while Santa is a fun character at Christmas time, there it's based on a real person yeah. who was just had a giving heart, particularly for children in need. Yeah, that's good. What's interesting here, and I as as we were talking through this, I didn't put this in my notes. Um, I've been reading, <clears throat> I guess, gosh, probably uh, a year or so ago. I got fascinated by the Cold War and started reading a ton about Stalin. I read uh, Gulag Archipelago, great book. Um, it's a great podcast called the Cold War, what we saw and fascinated, uh, just fascinated by the Cold War post-World War II. Um, one of the things I discovered as you were, it reminded me and I had to go look up and cause I couldn't remember the exact name, but in Soviet Russia, because, you know, because of the communist revolution, the Bolshevik re- revolution, you have basically the imposition of atheism as a predominant worldview, so this massive persecution of the Greek Orthodox or the Eastern Church, uh, Russian Orthodox Church, and so these people were killed, imprisoned in gulags, murdered. Like the, I mean, we thought Hitler was bad. Stalin, Stalin made Hitler look like a good guy. Yeah. Um. And and um. And one of the things he discovered was the loss of Christmas. So as Stalin interacted with Churchill and FDR and Western civilization. Um, he recognized the missing meta narrative. <clears throat> I mean, this is actually stuff he saw. There's a missing Soviet Russian uh, rally cry in any kind of meta narrative. And so they created, I think they called him Father Frost or something like that. And uh, his name was Dead Moroz, D E D Moroz. And I don't remember what Dead Moroz means, but they allowed Russians to buy a tree. Um, and celebrate Russia, and like they could decorate it in the colors of Russia. They could put a Russian flag on it. And Dead Moroz was the father, Father Frost, and they celebrated it in January. And it became like this Russian holiday that intended to mimic Christmas. They didn't right. have Santa Claus because they understood the connection Saint Nick. And so we're killing Christians. We're trying to stamp out Jesus because there is no God. There's for their worldview, there is no God. And so they created a narrative to give life. Uh, 
to the souls of, of Russians. And so what I find interesting in, in that is the development of a, of a meta-narrative. We have, with Santa Claus, we have the development of a story that provides some kind of meaning. And Stalin saw it as so important that they manufactured one for Russians in, for January. And so this isn't my notes, but I'm just, my, my brain's on fire right now, yeah. right now going, okay, if, if communist Russia saw the need for a meta-narrative and, and their observations saw Christmas season with Santa Claus as that vital and mimicked it, but a godless version of it, what is it? Like, what is it? And, and I think, because I was telling you as I was coming in, like, I was very emotional this morning driving here, listening to that song, because I, you know, my takeaways, my first takeaway, and here we would jump into the takeaways. My first takeaway is I freaking loved Christmas growing up. Mm-hmm. And I loved um, Santa. Like, Santa brought me, <laughs> Santa brought me my first motorcycle when I was five years old. Like, Santa brought me big stuff. Santa brought me my second motorcycle. And so I loved Santa because Santa gave me, Santa gave me good stuff. Um, and so I loved Christmas season because for me, Christmas season was always attached to me getting things I liked. And, and, and there was this counter. And, and as a kid, I'm not thinking meta narrative. I'm, right. I'm, but I'm living based on this meta narrative of be good, do these things because Santa's always watching. And, and, by God, if I did pretty good, I I got my first Honda 50. And I was like, keep it up, Jolly. Keep it, keep it up. And so what I found was, as I grew up, this is my second takeaway. And, I, and, and, and I'm not telling anybody what to do. I'm just telling my experience. As a it, growing up in <clears throat> where Christianity was kind of what my family said we were, Jesus always felt like a downer and a throw-in kind of an addition to uh and 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 that created this guilt in me I'm, I'm just being honest about myself and i think that's why i'm so emotional about it that song that third day wrote that mac powell sings really taps into a place in my soul that makes me go i i want so badly still as a i believe the gospel and god is still working on me and he's still making me what i ought to be i want to be so um tied to Jesus like I was to Santa. Yeah. But the truth is I'm not. I'm just not. I'm I'm on I'm en route. So I hear that song and there's a joy juxtaposed with a sorrow in my soul because yes you are. You're growing into that Jesus, but you're not that yet. And 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 I'm just being honest about myself. And so my takeaway is I love Santa. Number two, I always felt Jesus was a tack on and a downer. But had to do it because he's God, and I wanted to. I want God to like me, and that was kind of my this this meta narrative and uh, how I played it growing up. Um, third takeaway is I've regained a love for the season, and am regaining a love for the season with a proper view of what Christmas is and what it's not versus how it's presented to me. And I'm not blaming my folks for that. It, that's the power of meta narrative. Meta narrative is so powerful, we live in them. They define our decisions. So this this story um, that defines reality and where things come from and what they're about, that's why meta narratives meta narratives are so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and this meta narrative of Christmas is so powerful that Stalin had to create dead morose. You know, we celebrate January the frost. We celebrate the Soviet Union to give people reason. And so um, I've regained that kind of love by and then regaining it by seeing the importance of Jesus. Now, that sounds very simple, um, but that's a fight for me. That's a fight. Yeah. Santa is more uh, enfleshed in my world than Jesus is. Sounds weird. But I see more Santa often then I see physical manifestations of the very presence, tangible presence of God. That's a fight. That's a fight in my own soul. Um, and, and so I, I, I'm regaining that. I have regained part of it, I would say maybe, but I'm regaining that. Not blaming my folks. Uh, but Christmas as it comes off, 
um, without strong effort can play like it did on a child's flesh without any discernment uh, on the part of the kid to question it. And so that was my experience. Like it played on my flesh. And to this very day, like I, my, I have to fight this expectation that I'm going to get a motorcycle. Oh, that's stupid. But I'm like, I'm, I'm that childish. Like I really, I'm that childish. Like, hey, Jennifer, uh, that Harley Pan Am that I keep telling you, I'm like, hey, Santa brought me one when I was five and another when I was eight. So that's stupid. But that that was ingrained in me somehow, and so um, and it's easy to I think it's easy to do that to, to it's easy to do that to our boys uh, and my family as a dad. This is my fourth takeaway. Uh, we didn't do Santa, and I'm not prescribing that for any, anybody. That was my uh, my experience leading to a, a, as a dad how I wanted to how Jennifer and I wanted the boys to see Jesus. I didn't want I didn't want a meta narrative to compete with Jesus. And so we chose, telling other people they got to do this, and I don't think people are wrong for doing it differently than us. It's just what we chose to do. Um, we gave presents, but we didn't do it as from Santa. We gave surprise presents, things they didn't know were coming. And we did that because, as we told them, wise men brought Jesus presents, and we want to bring each other presents to celebrate the the Christ child. Um, we worked hard to keep it about Jesus and his kingdom, Uh and to some degree, we were successful. Some degree, we were not. Um, you know, we they still fight on buying each other presents on this mentality that's got to be more. So what we've started doing is no, the boys buy each other presents, but now it's t-shirts. So mm-hmm. no, 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 we're not gonna we're not gonna go this like trying to get better and more and more because that's kind of defeating the point. It's just to remember Jesus, and we're gonna give a present, have fun with each other. So they buy brother t-shirts that say goofy things on them. Yeah, so fun. so that so so that's kind of how we. But it's a it's a constant battle. I mean, they're twenty one, twenty and or twenty one. I count them twenty one, nineteen and seventeen, and it's still a battle. No, you don't need to do that. We're gonna buy t-shirts. Wait, brothers are competing with each other. <laughs> Imagine that, <laughs> brothers competing for presents, right? And then, and then my fifth takeaway: Christmas can be fun. Emotively engaging, absolutely full of joy, and still be about Jesus while celebrating the whole meta narrative. I think those two can go together without being hateful about anything, but recognizing the challenge of it and seeing it for what it is, uh, and trying to keep it about Jesus. And I and I think uh, if anything, for me, that's that's a struggle. It's a fight, but it's a fight worth engaging in. And I think there are multiple ways to do it. The way we did it is not the way everybody else has to do it. It's just what we chose to do. It's my little story. Um, and what's interesting today is just as you have told the things that you discovered, like, like I said, my brain's on fire. Like I'm learning things, and it's making me think about the meta narrative of Christmas and the magical nature of meta narrative. And what can we do to recapture that? Yeah. Recapture that. So, anyway, I'm going to shut up. I'd love to hear your takeaways. Sure. So, I kind of phrase my takeaways as more of a don't don't statements kind of give some um application and some some advice to the folks that are listening this holiday season so my first don't is don't be afraid to say no uh, this time of year feels like we have to say yes to every party every get together every extended family expectation and appease everyone because it's you know it's, it's christmas um, keep jesus first and your family second and don't neglect either of those out of like holiday obligations. Mm. And I'm going to use that word obligation in my second one, but I feel, feel like Christmas time, there's just this heavy feeling of obligation. I've got to get everybody a gift. I, I can't just get them one small thing. I can need like maybe two, small, like even though I have a lot to spend and, and I'm, I'm guilty of this cause I, I love giving gifts. I don't, mm-hmm. but I don't like, I'm, you know, most people, their whatever their love languages is what they do. I, my love language is not receiving gifts. I could care less if I get anything, I mean, it's nice to get stuff, but like that's never been. But like the joy of thinking through something and getting something that's going to make someone happy, like that's endorphin injection. You know, mm-hmm. like it's just cool. like that. That's fun to me. Like I like, yeah. especially it's something that like you, you mentioned surprise gifts. Like we always do that too. Like yeah, you know, um, and so that's. But just be careful. You don't neglect the things that matter the most because you feel like 
I've got to do all these things because it's Christmas time. That's good. Um, that kind of leads into my second one. Those, these first two are very similar. The second don't is don't allow the stress and anxiety of the obligations of Christmas take away from the joy of giving at Christmas. Mm. Let your giving be more than stuff. Give your time, your money, your kindness, your service, but just give. Because mm. uh, I think there's, you know, we talked about the growing up, like the joy of receiving something. But mm. there is great joy in giving. Yeah. And whether it's, you know, your money and that, that's important, you know, give at Christmas time, not just for the tax benefits, but, um, you know, <laughs> because you generally want to. Yes. Uh, and, and I get, you know, we don't, everybody has different means and we can, but don't, so I think that's not the important thing. Don't feel like it has to be overly valuable. I, quick story and I'll get to my other ones. When Brittany and I first got married in 2008, that Christmas we had zero money. We we couldn't we couldn't buy a Christmas tree. We didn't have a Christmas tree. We couldn't buy any Christmas tree or decorations. I literally drew one on a piece of paper and taped it to the wall because I was like, you know, like it was kind of silly, but it was also kind of sad. And it was like, you know, <laughs> both of us grew up, you know, traditional like Christmas stuff. We love Christmas time, but we just we didn't have it. And so um, I guess so. Brittany was teaching at the time. She was teaching at a Christian school at the time, and um, just if you you know you know my wife, she doesn't hide what she's feeling. You can usually tell when she's how she's doing by her face. That's just how she is. And someone noticed she was kind of down and she was, and she was, she was sad that, you know, we just, where we were in life, we couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, the person, so what ended up happening was this guy, you know, around a couple of folks at the school, the art teacher had her and Brittany's entire class make ornaments you know, the snowflake ornaments with their names on it. We still have those. That's awesome. We still put them on the tree most every year. This wow. was, and that's, you know, this is you know, many years later. Yeah. Um, and then somebody gave us an eight foot artificial tree mm. and like two big old boxes full of ornaments and decorations. Wow. wow. So, uh, which we had that tree up until recently, but just our house can't even fit an eight foot tree. So we had <laughs> like one year we we put it up in the little top piece. We had to lay sideways <laughs> on top. <laughs> Couldn't put anything on top of it, but it was yeah. just, so that, that will always remind me of, and it's we, we would have been fine without that. Yeah, but it was somebody knew that that meant something to us, and they gave, and it wasn't like they didn't go out to buy us a brand new tree, right? But I think it was more meaningful because they didn't because they gave their own things, and so mm. when my daughter makes me something, you know, she made yeah. us an ornament, and we gave it to us that she'd been making at school. Yeah, that's why you know parents we put those things with them. You know, it used yeah. to be macaroni right you make yeah. everything with macaroni and like gold <laughs> spray paint or bronze yeah. like my parents still have some of those from when i was like four and five you know because that's yeah meaningful and when Very i get much. when i didn't couldn't afford something and i gave my something it says world's best dad or something right you know yeah. it's just yeah so just give yeah um that's precious my um my third one so for those who who do santa Please don't say your most expensive gifts are from Santa. This bugs me every year. I know why your why your intent is probably in the right place. Not all families can afford iPhones and iPads and electronics and things like that for their kids, and it teaches the kids whose families don't have those means that they weren't good enough or they must have done something wrong that Santa doesn't care about them as much. And so mm. I feel like, and again, I don't think the intent's there that we just oh we do Santa let's make this from Santa. Make your Santa gifts. The less expensive ones. Yeah. You know, we try to do that too. Like if I, we're giving her, if I'm giving my daughter a big gift, that one doesn't come from Santa. Yeah. Um, cause I don't want her, cause it gives to talk. What did you get? What did Santa bring you? Right. Yeah. You know, well, Santa brought me an iPhone 14. <laughs> like, Santa brought me a pair of socks. You know, it's like, so how bad was I this right. year? Right. And, and, and when we talk uh, about the mental health stuff, if you don't think that has it, that plays a part, it absolutely yeah. does. So yeah, that's, right. that's just some good advice there. Mm. I believe that's it's important. Advice. Uh, and it defeats the entire purpose behind Santa. Right. right. Uh, my fourth one is don't slack on family traditions, but be mm. diligent and intentional to continue them as you are able and to create new ones. Um, I just, mm. I think the traditions of Christmas are one of the most important aspects of Christmas. You mentioned yeah. some just memories right there. The memories we have, right. those are carried out each year through traditions That's and right. through what we do. Not if you've got some that aren't, positive ones don't continue those right um and then when i think as people get married and have your own kids make sure you create some of your own like use find the ones that from your family that you want to continue mm. uh you don't have to do all of them but make some ones that are just important for your family you know we've done that as well and there's things that are really important to us yeah. that, that are not negotiable at christmas like these are things we, are, we will do no matter where we're at who we're with 
what the circumstances are. That's awesome. Uh, and that are important to do. So yeah, that's don't, good. don't neglect those. Don't slack on them. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, kind of, so one of those, you know, a lot of people do the elf on the shelf thing, which I think is fun. Did you see Snoop on the stoop? <laughs> the Snoop <laughs> on the cr- stoop is <laughs> That's classic. I kind of want that. Um, <laughs> yeah. We do. There's a kind of a Christian version of it called uh, Shepherd on the Search. Okay. That we do. And we've got it. His, his name's Samuel. Oh, that's And we kind of do the same thing. He's kind of mischievous, but he's on, the whole process is he's on the search to find Jesus. Okay. So for, you know, Chris, from like December 1st, every night we move him and he put him in a different spot. And sometimes he brings gifts. Sometimes he, you know, the other night he was in the Barbie car, a Corvette <laughs> with the Barbie. Um, <laughs> he got, fun. he's hanging from the ceiling fan, um, you know, different yeah. things. Like um, I, I made two um, rolls of a, uh, wrapping paper into like stilts so he could reach up and get something on the tree <laughs> and he's standing on the, you know, so you, you still have fun with it, That's pretty but awesome. it's, but it's more of a, a purpose driven version of it as yeah. opposed to like, yeah. um, I felt like Christmas has become the ultimate parental manipulation to get kids to do things. It's like, right. well, if you don't act right, Santa's not going to bring you this <laughs> <laughs> or, or you're, you're not, you know, if you touch the elf, you're going to, you know, you're going to get cold. You know, those kind of yeah. things, which I get it, but, and, 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 I've been yeah. guilty of that before, <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway. So, um, uh, but that's a fun tradition for us, and and Addison looks forward to it every year, awesome. and so we love doing it. Uh, my last one, and this will kind of lead into kind of my final point. So I'll kind of do these at the same time if you're cool with that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna do it either way. I don't know why I said that, but uh, <laughs> so <laughs> my last great. one goes with with your last one. Um, and I worded this very carefully. Don't feel that you have to shun cultural Christmas. It's okay to do both Santa and the secular Christmas while also keeping the focus on Jesus. Now, as a caveat to that, it's okay not to do Santa. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't, that's not my point here is that you have to. I just want people to feel like it's okay to do both. And what I want to say on that is there are a lot of correlations between the two, if we think about it. There's this, you know, we prepare for Jesus' coming, right? This Advent season, we prepare him room just like we do kind of for Santa. Yeah the tree, the presents, the house, the stockings, all those kind of things. We're, we're preparing for his coming. Um, while Santa's bringing us the gifts, Jesus was the gift, right? They both yeah. came at night quietly while we're not, you know, not awake, which I think is cool. Yeah. Um, you know, they both came to bring joy and to bring peace and to bring happiness in a way. And, and I'm, I want to be careful here for somebody who thinks that I'm calling Santa Jesus. I'm not trying to compare the two, right. but I think that they can coexist if the right message is there. Well, it's the function of meta narratives. If the meta narrative of the gospel, the kingdom of God, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, is in place, then all other narratives become subject to mm-hmm. that meta narrative. That that's the function of a meta narrative. It is it brings all narratives in line with the meta narrative, and you know the difference between history uh, and story. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I think the challenge for us, and, and this is what's brilliant about Stalin. Stalin knew that because it's just human. Meta narratives function to rule things. And so we had to create a meta narrative. So I think what happens is when when the meta narrative of Christmas becomes or the narrative of Christmas becomes the meta narrative. Right. As opposed to a narrative that fits underneath the meta narrative of the kingdom of God. And so I Absolutely. Yeah. So I th- put it in the right prioritizes <clears throat> prioritization is important. Yeah. But know that they can coexist. It's just yeah, but parents, that's going to be on you on how you message that. Like we do, we do both. Yeah, but we are very, very intentional about making sure that yeah. the real focus is on what it should be. Well, somebody who may rail against all Santa Christians should never do that. Um, needs to evaluate what narratives they've set in the place of the meta narrative of the gospel and other places too. Because not just Christmas. That right. competes with the meta narrative of the kingdom of God, right? So it's easy. It would be easy to rail against people and realize yeah. I have an idol sitting as a meta narrative over a lot of things. It's not Christmas. But I feel like you could make the same argument then of, mm-hmm. well, don't watch television. Absolutely. Don't participate yeah. in sports. Yeah. Don't read any books that aren't the Bible. Don't sing any music that's not a worship song. Homeschool only. Yeah. There are all and, kinds and, of And again, none right? of those arguments right. you could, are. It's, that's up to you what to do, but right. to say that we can't do these things if you're Christian, right? We've got to, yeah. We can't we can't change and become the culture. That's right. But I don't know that we should necessarily be overly abrasive against the culture, absolutely. And, and then and expect to be listened to and seen as absolutely um, 
someone that we want to follow and listen to. Absolutely. That's exactly right. That's a good point. That's a good, I, I love how you did that. And, and I think that's spot on. And and I think that that's what we have to do. Yeah. So, but that's, I th- that's kind of why we wanted to share the history of Santa. Yeah. So you understand where that really came from. Yeah. And I think if, and that's a, that's a good lesson to maybe teach your kids that. Yeah. Absolutely. Santa Claus. Yeah, tell them the story, and 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 you can go find these resources. We gave you some. You can go to the History Channel. Uh, you can go to uh, I Heard Good News Today. Mm-hmm. All these things are out there. Tell them the story because this is the beautiful thing about the meta narrative of the kingdom of God is when you tell that meta narrative of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, intimately, deeply tied to the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what you can do with history and story because. Because this is this would be a great podcast. The place of myth in historical meta narrative, yeah, like, like those things exist for a reason. Some of them come out of the imagination of man because the imagination of man is fueled by God, in whose image they are created, and you can pick myths apart and find divine things that only God can put in the soul of man and find a way for the gospel. Yeah. And so when the meta narrative sits on top, you can look at those things and not just dismiss them, but listen to them. And then you read history. You read about St. Nicholas. He's a real person. He really lived and died. He was a follower of Jesus Christ and served people and made disciples in modern day Turkey. Isn't that crazy? That's wild. And you tell when that meta narrative is in place, you, there's redemption of who Saint Nicholas is, and you can use that, man. Yeah. That's why, like, the Christmas tree is so important. Like that that sucker has an incredible connection to uh, missions. I mean, yeah. Boniface use of the tree to rescue Germanic peoples from Thor. Thor's not not Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like we're talking child sacrifice kind of stuff. And Boniface had some guts, and he, the Christmas tree has great significance missiologically for the gospel. Even just the shape of the Christmas tree and what you put on the top is usually a star yes. or an angel. Yep. And the Christmas tree is basically an arrow that points up yep. to that point. That's right. That's it. And I mean, that was Boniface's whole point is like this God does not dwell in this tree that emanates thunder. This tree points to the heavens where the real God dwells and sits over all of creation. That's how Boniface rescued this kid from child sacrifice. That's what the tree that's where the tree came from. How freaking cool is that, man? Awesome. So put that dang tree up. Tell the story of Jesus. Right. <laughs> and tell the story of missions. Maybe God calls your kid to missions. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, see, I get I'm on my, I and get fired. Parents, off. if you've got young kids, Jesus Storybook Bible, oh, great resource of talking about yes. meta narratives and and yes. and telling the story of that. And I believe if you start it in December and read it through one chapter at a time, if I remember correctly, it you get to the to Jesus, you get to the birth of Jesus on Christmas Day. Christmas Day. So it, yeah. it's a great thing to do every year. Absolutely. So guys, we appreciate you listening to Theology in the Dirt. It's been a fantastic uh, time today talking about Santa Claus and meta-narratives, and our history, and our stories. I want to leave you as we go today with a a hymn that has been very meaningful to me, a Christmas hymn. So I appreciate you guys listening. Hope this will be a blessing to you. Have a great day. We'll see you next time. Come.